0: Welcome you to this broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, featuring messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. As we begin this new year, we invite you to hear Dr. Cairns as he continues a series of studies in the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Messages that focus on the Savior himself, as revealed in his teaching and miracles, his atoning death on the cross and His glorious resurrection. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First of all, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought from the pen of C.H. Spurgeon, as found in his collection called Morning and Evening. Today's text is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 28 and verse 38, The Iniquity of the Holy Things. What a veil is lifted up by these words, and what a disclosure is made! It will be humbling and profitable for us to pause a while and see this sad sight. The iniquities of our public worship, its hypocrisy, formality, lukewarmness, irreverence, wandering of heart and forgetfulness of God, what a full measure have we there! Our work for the Lord, its emulation, selfishness, carelessness, slackness, unbelief, what a mass of defilement is there! Our private devotions... Their laxity, coldness, neglect, sleepiness, and vanity, what a mountain of dead earth is there! If we looked more carefully, we should find this iniquity to be far greater than appears at first sight. Dr. Payson, writing to his brother, said, My parish, as well as my heart, very much resembles the garden of the sluggard. And what is worse, I find that very many of my desires for the amelioration of both PROCEED EITHER FROM PRIDE, OR VANITY, OR INDOLENCE. I LOOK AT THE WEEDS WHICH OVERSPREAD MY GARDEN, AND BREATHE OUT AN EARNEST WISH THAT THEY WERE ERADICATED. BUT WHY? WHAT PROMPTS THE WISH? IT MAY BE THAT I MAY WALK OUT AND SAY TO MYSELF, IN WHAT FINE ORDER IS MY GARDEN KEPT? THIS IS PRIDE. OR IT MAY BE THAT MY NEIGHBORS MAY LOOK OVER THE WALL AND SAY, HOW finely YOUR GARDEN FLOURISHES. THIS IS VANITY. Or I may wish for the destruction of the weeds, because I am weary of pulling them up. This is indolence. So that even our desires after holiness may be polluted by ill motives. Under the greenest sods, worms hide themselves. We need not look long to discover them. How cheering is the thought that when the high priest bore the iniquity of the holy things, he wore upon his brow the words, Holiness to the Lord. And even so, while Jesus bears our sin, He presents before His Father's face not our unholiness, but His own holiness. Oh, for grace to view our great High Priest by the eye of faith! Days when the forces of evil are devastating our land, God's people need to pray. More than that, we must engage in united prayer. Just as the apostles and the early church were of one accord gathering for prayer, the cry for our day must be, Let us pray. To encourage the Lord's people to this end, Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer a publication entitled, The Case for United Prayer. Presented within its pages are excerpts from the works of Jonathan Edwards, Samuel Prime, and Pastor Richard Cross. The centerpiece of the book is Samuel Prime's first-hand account of the famous New York City prayer meetings of 1857, begun by one man, Jeremiah Lamphere. This simple effort was blessed by God until prayer meetings sprang up all over the nation and ushered in a mighty revival that spread across the sea to Great Britain, culminating in the great 1859 revival in Northern Ireland. To obtain your copy of The Case for United Prayer free of charge, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of The Case for United Prayer. On today's edition of Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns continues the series of studies in the life and earthly ministry of Christ as he brings the next portion of a message entitled, Christ Walking on the Water. The text is found in Matthew chapter 14, the scene immediately following the feeding of the 5,000. In a burst of excitement, the multitude wanted to make Christ king, but not according to the Lord's purpose. Dismissing the crowd, Jesus sent the disciples away by boat and went to a mountain to pray by himself. In the darkness, the disciples encountered a powerful storm that seemed to threaten their lives. At that point, Christ came walking on the water and calmed their fears with those wonderful words, "'Fear not, it is I, be not afraid.'" As Dr. Cairns will emphasize, The important lesson here is the connection between prayer and power. The order is vital. Christ prayed first, then demonstrated his power, and that must be our pattern as well. Now Dr. Cairns continues this message, Christ walking on the water.
1: Very often we can be in the presence of our Savior doing great things for us, and yet we become used... the things of God, and our hearts are hardened. And if that sounds to you a little strange, just think of your own experience. How often has the Lord blessed you? In how many ways has the Lord blessed you? And yet, do you not have to struggle constantly against your heart being hardened because of the very familiarity of the things of God and the blessings of grace? their heart was hardened. What they had seen in the feeding of the 5,000 was a miracle of creative power, and yet they didn't stop to think of its implications. We too can think we see and know the works of God and the events of scripture But let me tell you, we really know nothing about them if we fail to grasp their witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the miracles of this book, they are there to point you to Christ. All the teachings of this book, they are there to point you to Christ. It's one reason I have grave difficulties with The philosophy that has taken over the Protestant pulpit today, where you have preachers getting up and expatiating on this topic and that topic and the other topic, and you have even Bible believers getting up giving you this principle and the other principle. And what they say may have a lot of truth in it in and of itself. But understand, we are never called to consider the events of Scripture or the works of God in and of themselves. They are all part of a mighty witness to Jesus Christ. The disciples saw the miracle. And no doubt they were thrilled. But they did not consider it as they ought to have done, for they didn't see what they should have seen of Christ. Let us learn the lesson, whether in your study of Scripture or in your experience of the grace of God in your life. I don't want to pursue this, as I say, because I have these time constraints, but I will say this to you. Here is the secret, the secret of not falling into the trap of a hardened heart. It is to see Christ in every scripture, in every situation, in every grace, as well as in every grief. It is to see Christ. Listen, if we could have miracles, every service here the miracles in themselves would only harden our hearts. The only thing that will keep a Christian's heart soft to God is the intimacy of seeing Christ at every step and every turn. That's the lesson that we learn as we see the reaction of the disciples to the walking of Christ upon the water. Now, what I've said about all the events of Scripture is particularly true for our purposes today of this event of the walking on the water. From this miracle, I think you can see that the Lord Jesus Christ could walk on water because he was God. But you could say the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want to sound facetious here, but he could do what he wanted if he wanted to go and push Mount Everest a hundred miles north, south, east, or west, he could do that too. He's God. But he didn't push Mount Everest. He did walk on water. He could do it because he was God, but he did do it because he loved and protected his people. And with that in mind, I want us to think upon the Lord Jesus walking in the water and enabling Peter to do the same. And for simplicity, <laughs> I was going to say also for brevity, but I'll not promise that, uh, for simplicity at least, what we'll do is simply examine the record of the event here in the Gospels and then, if time permits, consider the significance of the miracle to the disciples and to us. Now, when you look at the gospel record of this event, you'll find it in Matthew, you find it in Mark, you'll find it in John. One thing that, before we actually get into the, the event, I want us to mark very carefully. And that is the connection between prayer and power. You remember that the Lord Jesus sent the disciples away. He went up into a mountain apart and alone to pray. And then, hours later... He came walking on the water to deliver them. In other words, the Savior went from prayer to doing this stupendous thing. Now, as I've said, being God, he is able to walk on water or do whatever he wished to do. He is the one who at his word could create He is the one who at his word upholds the whole fabric of this universe so he can do what he wills. But the fact is that here and throughout his ministry, the Lord Jesus acted as the servant of Jehovah. And as the servant, therefore, he went into the place of prayer. He got alone with God. He spent those hours in private intercession, in a burdened praying In a heart communion, he got into the presence of his Father in the place of prayer. And therefore, when the need arose, when his people were facing problems and they were in great danger, then he walked out in the fullness of the power that God gave him to execute his ministry as Messiah. And I say God gave him that power... Because throughout Luke's account of the life of Christ, you have this constant emphasis, twin emphasis, on Jesus at prayer, and then the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And in this, the Lord Jesus is our example. Here is the usual order of things in the work of God. If we are missing anything in the work of God today, it is power. If the ordinary Christian is missing anything, it is power. The power to overcome and be victors instead of victims in our circumstances. The power to be witnesses to win souls for Christ. The power to stand up in a godless age and see a work done for God. The power in preaching that will sway multitudes and bring them into the kingdom the power that will hold aloft the banner of the cross and stem the tide of apostasy in the church. We need that power, and that's the power that is conspicuous by its absence. In place of the power of the Holy Ghost, God's people have been given the husks of man's philosophy, of psychological gimmicks, I am amazed at the number of Christians who learn some trite little saying and they're told, just apply that to the situation as if it were some magic formula. Obviously, it only leads to despair and utter frustration. What we need is the power. I want to tell you something. You'll never get the power of God either for your own life or for this church's life. You'll never get it in a committee meeting. You'll never get it in a planning session. You'll never get it reading books about how to do this, that, and the other thing. There is an old-fashioned biblical truth here that the church of Christ has proved down through the centuries, and that is prayer precedes power. And it's only as we get through to God and prevail with God that we will ever be able to fulfill the statement of our Savior, greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. The call is preeminently, therefore, a call to prayer. Apparently, the simplest thing in the Christian life to speak to our Father in heaven. As every Christian knows, the most difficult discipline in the Christian life. We can find reasons for everything to take the place of prayer. We can find every excuse not to pray. We turn what should be a free-speaking dynamic interchange of words from us to God and opening our heart for his word to us. We turn that into something cold, mechanical, forced. We do it because we feel guilty if we don't do it. We pray against the clock. We pray for the sake of the sound of the words. May God come and help us really to pray. You don't need me to teach you how to pray. You simply need to pray. But I don't know the words. Well, tell the Lord that. I have no doubt you can think of many things for which to praise God. Tell the Lord that. I have no doubt you have a multitude of things that you would like to ask of God. If you've got to write them down to keep them in mind, then write them down. Do not fall for the fallacy that has cursed uh, evangelicalism for far too long that all prayer must be so extemporaneous that you can't even write down before God what you want to pray for. Rubbish and nonsense. Whatever help you need to be able to bring those things to God, if you've got to think it through before you get in your knees, think it through, but bring it to God and let us pray and never let us lose sight of the great necessity in our praying to pray for the power of God. That's the very outstanding, overarching truth that you find in the gospel record of this event of Christ walking on the water and enabling Peter to do the same. Now, as we come to the narrative itself, there's an outstanding truth that is perplexing not when you read it in the Bible, but it's perplexing when you run across it in your own life. And that is that the Lord Jesus deliberately, willfully, knowingly sent his disciples right into the teeth of a fierce storm. The storm didn't take the Lord Jesus by surprise. It was not an unexpected event. He knew exactly, but he sent them into it all the same and second, when they were suffering physically. If you have never pulled a pair of oars, you maybe don't fully understand the tiredness. I was never an oarsman. But in another one of my crazy moments, I remember taking my then-girlfriend you see her smiling, out into we would call it Bangor Bay. It's part of Belfast Lock, which is really an inlet of the ocean. And uh, I got in there, of course, I had no more idea how to row, but I'd seen other people do it, and it's dead easy, isn't it? I put the oars in, and the sea was fairly calm, to be quite honest. Get out there. And those days I thought I was fairly fit. I could play rugby. Well, I could run up and down a rugby pitch. Uh, not say I was much good at this stuff, but I could play rugby. You had to be... If you ever look at a rugby scrum, you had to be fit and you had to be strong to be binding into the front row there and uh, to be... I to use this word for Americans have perverted it entirely. In English, it's a position in the front row of a rugby scrum. Here, it's a very rotten word, but you're called the hooker. And so I'm in there and I thought I was fit. We could out. And I can tell you, I suddenly discovered there's fitness and fitness. And I discovered that there's, there's great pressure in there when you stick those oars in the water. And as we got away way out, and Joan will tell you, even in swimming, I hate to be out of my depth. I don't mind going down in an aircraft if I have to, but I hate the thought of sinking in a boat or swimming or whatever. I don't want to die by drowning. They say it's nice, but I haven't yet experienced <laughs> I haven't yet experienced it to prove it so I have no idea but I can tell you just when you feel all the energy green out of your arms and you push with your legs and you you wonder can I push again and you see the shore a great way off and you know there's a couple of hundred feet of very uninviting water and I'm not going to be able to walk in that water a little terrifying that's where the disciples were Only these were oarsmen, these were oarsmen, their body was drained of strength, and they were there because they were obeying the word of Christ.
0: Listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org.